0: Hey everyone, my name is Sapan Choxi, and I'm here today with Nicholas Palmquist, co-founder and CEO of CloudX. Nicholas, it's great to have you here.
1: Yeah, hi Sapan. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it's great to be here as well.
0: Awesome. So, for those uh, who don't know, Nicholas, Nicholas actually has spent over 20 years in the various uh, C-level roles of multinational and shipping and logistics companies as well as software companies. Uh, he has a lot of experience working across different cultures and businesses practices. Um, and he's lived, well, pretty much all across the world, uh, US, Europe, and Asia. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, he's got some fantastic experience and, and it's really mind blowing uh, the kind of knowledge he has on, on sort of the cloud areas and it's what we're gonna talk about today. <laughs> so he's actually successfully spearheaded and delivered multi-million-dollar projects uh, in and around digital transformation, IT strategies for various Clients, customers around, around the globe. Um, he was working for a large a global company, and and therefore he got a lot of sort of uh, views and access to how different uh, regions do business, etc. So I mean, the, 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 the this conversation today is going to be fantastic. Um, N- Nicholas uh, is a technologist at heart, um, but he is a business guy. He understands business really well, really really well, and he enjoys execution of these solutions. So he really likes to get his hands dirty. And today his focus is really on modern and disruptive technologies such as cloud computing. I would say he is not only uh, an expert, he is an evangelist. So Nicholas, welcome once again, and let's sort of dive right into it. So Nicholas, I'm gonna start by asking you, you know, sort of the million dollar question, right? Um, cloud is such a big word, right? What does it mean to you?
1: yeah oh wow let me first comment on that introduction that that's the nicest thing I've heard in in a long time um so so some of the things I'm proud of when you when you're saying that you know more than two decades it just sounds uh it, it that sounds like it's too long but yeah it's true so but thank you so um so so cloud um yeah I mean it's uh, it's obviously a very broad question and a, and a difficult one right um and and we hear and see customers uh and and just basically everybody had, it has moved up i mean cloud used to be an it discussion then he moved up to to cio and and cdo level and then he moved up to the whole c-suite and now we see a lot of those conversations on a board level um there, there are multiple articles etc even from mckinsey and the likes right saying okay here's board advice um, how do boards handle cloud? How do you discuss it from a strategic perspective? Um, and, and again, to me, that's pretty, it's very interesting and, and impressive. So it, it's, it's a board level discussion these days. So it's impacting people's businesses. It's not only about, about IT. And I think that's the evolution of the cloud as well. It has moved from being basically, you have a technical toolbox that mostly IT people are using. That could be for, for storage or you deploy a few servers, et cetera. But again, now it's highly strategic, even on the business level.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the the whole cloud concept has become so strategic. I mean, initially when people used to think cloud, they used to think pretty much migration, but that that whole thinking has changed and has to change. I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, you see, I mean, it's hard for people to understand cloud, right? And, and we spend quite some time on explaining what, what is cloud today. And obviously it's moving so fast, and that's one of the biggest challenges also for customers to keep up, right? Um, so that's a big part of our job to basically explain what is the cloud, how can you use it? And um, you know, I normally start and and you know tell people it's like,, hey, you know cloud and they say, yeah, yeah, that's where I can store my pictures, you know from my phone, um, and, and maybe if they're a little bit more advanced, yeah, okay, I can provision servers, I can run some servers, I only pay hour, et cetera, And I tell them, yeah, that's correct, but that's basically cloud ten years ago. Um, if you look at some of the products that have been available, uh, if you take Amazon S3 storage service, it went live in 2006. So, so obviously, that's more than 15 years ago. And in, in, in cloud years, I mean, that is even longer. It, a lot of things have changed, right? So it's starting from that very basic level and then explaining, okay, based on those two services, the basic services, what has happened in the last 10 years? How do you apply that to your strategy? How can those tools be used, et cetera? But yeah, it's a, it's a long and, and sometimes a little bit challenging conversation.
0: So I'm going to take you back a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, initially, most people thought or, or always used to think uh, that, and many people still do for that matter, that cloud is just about lift and shift of applications, uh, right? But, but I'm going to take you back to your CIO days and when you were running a product, right? How did you start thinking about the cloud and how did you convince your board to actually go down that path?
1: Uh, I guess it's a little bit of a long answer, but it started internally, um, you know, when you're running a business um, and it doesn't matter if it's software business or any kind of business, right? You, you're looking at how can you become more efficient? Um, and, and in this case, we're developing a fairly large product. Um, we had teams uh, split over three countries and um, the total of yeah, roughly 130, 140 people. So it was very important to see how can we become more efficient in development? and and that's a journey that never stops right because you want to you want to enhance your product at all times so you know you do weekly daily hours how can we move faster how can we create more value um so we looked many different places um we looked internally you know how can we be better at agile can we implement more tools can we do this and that as a part of that conversation cloud was there So we started to use more and more cloud services Um, and keep in mind, this was quite some time ago. And and I don't think that DevOps was that well known, but we started to practicing DevOps so we could automatically release or build and release software, et cetera. We could do automated testing. We started automating more and more things. Um, We started to use uh, containers before Kubernetes, for example, was born, uh, mostly based on Docker containers, et cetera. So early adopters. And then we found out that, yeah, I mean, cloud is, already mature enough where we can see the business becoming more efficient where we're creating more value along the way because we're using these tools so so that's basically where it started that we looked at cloud as a very large toolbox um you know compared to the more traditional toolbox which is smaller right and then we started to investigate that toolbox and 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 you know trying out services and and i think that's part of the answer too right cloud is great um, but you need to understand what parts work for you. And there are parts that are maybe not a good fit for you. So it's also very much about experimentation. And experimentation in the cloud is fairly easy and it's fairly cheap. So you try something out, maybe small proof of concept. It doesn't work out. That's fine. You fail fast and then you tweak things and eventually you reach your goal.
0: So then, you know, 10 years ago, people used to just think, I'm just, by moving to a cloud, I'm just shifting CapEx to OPEX. Um, and I know uh, the, the way, especially um, the big three have, have evolved uh, their cloud sort of offerings, you know, from AWS to Azure to even Google. Um, you know, it's, it's not just uh, as simple as saying moving CapEx to OPEX, um, but it's very difficult to convince sort of your CFO, et cetera, especially when you're moving from CapEx to OPEX, uh, so how, How would you suggest people help uh, the CFOs get there?
1: Um, No, I I think you also have to consider where people and companies are at. Um, Many times when you talk about the cloud, people like to talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning, analytics and and various things. And that's all great. Um, But if you look at many companies, bread and butter is still, you have a bunch of servers that are running your mission critical applications again that's not everything Mm that's a big piece of the puzzle um but again look at the toolbox um saying okay i have this application can be an oracle application or or whatever it is okay it needs to run in a specific way or a specific purpose Um, so traditionally people have bought their hardware and they spend months on requiring that hardware and configuring it, installing it, et cetera, right? and then deploying it. And then after over the years, there are people tweaking this. So you have this manual setup that works very well, but it's still a server right, or, or multiple servers, if you will. right. So in the cloud, if you just look at, when you go in and buy a server, um, if you look at AWS, I mean, it's not one server you buy. I mean, you literally have more than 100 server types. So depending on the application, Is it a, is it a database do you need, is it a graphics heavy application? You have all these different options that are tailor-made to different applications. Mm -hmm. So it means that it becomes more effective, right? And when it becomes more effective, you can also scale it properly. So when, when you do capacity planning, traditional capacity planning, you tell the CFO and say, okay, I need to invest $200,000. I'm just picking a number right for this server, for this environment. And it's over-provisioned because you know that there's going to be natural growth, could be 20% per year or whatever, right? So you right. need to cater for that growth all along. But that also means you're paying for idle capacity. And again, it's not specialized yet, commodity hardware, that people need to then configure and make you know, into a specialized solution. So again, now we go back to the cloud. We have a larger toolbox with all these at least 100 server types where we can pick and choose the perfect server type for this specific application and then we scale it accordingly so overall the value um, becomes greater and most of the time the cost is less as well and it frees up it departments to focus on what they should really focus on creating value for the business
0: right i mean i think indirectly what you're saying is you need to look at the total cost of ownership over the life cycle of the server, maybe, or over a couple of years, as opposed to just what's happening at that point in time.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a very important point. The total cost of ownership is uh, it's sometimes tricky for people to define because it's so easy just to look at okay, what have we bought? Um, you know, we're talking about servers. I mean, how much do we spend? Do we spend those $300,000? We depreciate that over 36 months. How much is it cost per month, right? But if you look at the total cost of ownership, I mean, again, you have a lot of manpower. That's tr- tricky to define because it's an internal cost within IT department, ours not logged properly, etc. Um, make it even more complex, you have power and cooling in a data center. So how much of that, and you have internet, right? I mean, how much of that is actually, or that cost is tied to this specific application? Most people don't know that often. That's also something that we help people with to try to define that. So whenever you understand the total cost of ownership, it's much easier, right, to compare to the cloud cost because it's very fixed. You pay X cents or X dollars for this specific workload, um, and uh, yeah, on a monthly or recurring basis, right? So, so then you have you can compare apples to apples and it's not apples to oranges. Right.
0: No, that's that's great advice. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get back to some basics, right? Imagine, uh, you know, and this is where most companies start is taking a core application and then moving that to the cloud so you know think of it as a simple migration process right or lift and shift as as often it's called um, what are the steps one should think about when going through that process you know do i need to think about you know because i'm doing this uh, or going down this journey do i should i look at re-architecting my uh, sort of uh, you know uh, application uh, or are, are, what kind of dependencies do i need to be thinking about i mean what, how would you sort of, you know, and I know, I know it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of steps involved, but if you had to, you know, answer me at a high level, uh, what would you say, what are the things that someone should start thinking about, uh, you know, who may not have a very strong IT department per se, or, or, or just thinking about going on this path?
1: Mm. Um, well, first of all, you should ask the question, why are we doing this, right? So, so before we decide we need to do lift and shift, right? We need to understand why we want to do lift and shift. So that's normally when people look at different migration strategies. Um, and in, in the cloud world, it's called the R's. Um, back in the day, we had like the five R's and, and then it became the six R's. And now I believe we're up to the seven R's. So what are the R's? Well, that's basically anything from re-platforming an application. Uh, you could retire an application. You can re-architect an application, et cetera. Um, so you need to go through and understand those seven R's and basically pick the one that is useful for you. Mm-hmm. So even retire, you know, sometimes that is an option, right? And saying, do we really need this application long term? Is there not another alternative? You know, there could be a SaaS application that we go out and buy. Okay, if that's a better solution, then this application should be retired. It should not be moved to the cloud on the other hand of saying no it's maybe a uh, mission critical so we know we need it um, but then you start to look at the application but how mature is it uh, is it a modern application does it contain a lot of legacy technology um, and that's what we see a lot these days that people have a lot of mission critical applications but they're a legacy technology they're not keeping up um and different components are becoming end of life could be database could be uh, the dot net version or, or whatever people are using right so then the question becomes how do you modernize this application and again as an example sometimes you need to re-architect it um, because you're you're moving to the cloud I would say the traditional <clears throat> way to go um, and, and well if there is a traditional but a lift and shift is normally a good step um, but again that is just a copy paste um, you unlock some value by doing that uh, because you are in the cloud but people sometimes misunderstand that okay then i'm done right now we move to the cloud um but no that's when the fun starts because again coming back to this toolbox right so all of a sudden you have unlocked this enormous toolbox and now you can really start to create larger value within the application itself but again it's it's highly individual what kind of application is um you know is it a homegrown custom application Um, is it an oracle application that is more canned that you just need to host so again, that's also why you had the, these different strategies. Um, but again, the strategic angle is, is important to discuss and understand what is the, the lifespan of the application, what are the end goals of the application, and then you can map out how you get there. Right. I hope that makes sense.
0: No, that uh, makes perfect sense. And actually, it's very uh, it's very sound advice. Um, thank you for that. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, you know, Typically, when we think cloud adoption in general, I would say people think, outside of IT at least, people think, oh, it's, that's a tech play, right? But, you know, and I keep, and, and I keep telling uh, people that, no, 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 cloud is not about, it's not a tech uh, play per se. It depends a lot on uh, your organization, especially the people in process, right? Um, so how do you advise clients in terms of, how do you bring the people in the process along uh, with you uh, while 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 on this journey, as opposed to just keeping it in your in your mind that it's only a tech plane, therefore sort of relegated only to the IT department, because that's not the case anymore.
1: Yeah, no, and and as you said in the beginning of the conversation, it's uh, it's not easy. Um, it, it starts with a lot of conversations, normally on on a higher level, and uh, I think there has to be buy-in from from the C level and the board to be to become truly successful. Um, but I think that's, uh, it's definitely happening. Uh, and we've seen that a lot of organizations, even in let's call it more traditional industries, they have hired the uh, chief digital officers. So in addition to the CIO, right. I mean, they have a CDO that is pushing the transformation. Um, and with that, there are more conversations <clears throat> on the C-level and also in boards, because I mean, how, if you want to become digital, what does it mean, how do you get there? As part of that conversation, cloud is important. Um, you don't have to do cloud. Um, you can do it the traditional way. It's just very painful, <laughs> and very expensive as well. So, so that is why you need to and um, understand and embrace the cloud if you want to become more more digital. Um, and on the IT side, I mean, yeah, you can do it still traditional, and and maybe have a stronger argument if you have sized and design your data centers well etc if you're cost effective um then maybe have a better argument um, but it's still like andy jesse from amazon is saying you know fighting cloud is like fighting gravity eventually you will run into trouble uh, because you need to understand and, and embrace it um, but yeah change is difficult right and it becomes also cultural um, so it is a journey for people i mean you can't expect for people to adopt and understand cloud from one day to the other um there's also a fear by some people, right? am I losing my job, you know, because I, I don't necessarily know cloud today. So how is somebody else going to do my job? Um, but as we tell people, you know, things change and it's not about you losing your job. It's about upskilling. It's about doing things differently. And, and I think overall, especially IT people are used to that, right, because you can't stand still. Uh, in the IT world, I mean, you constantly need to upskill and you need to embrace new technologies because otherwise, yeah, you're left behind.
0: Right. I mean, you mentioned that uh, you know in your previous uh, organization, uh, one of the one of the one of the thought processes behind uh, you know adopting cloud uh, and was to become more agile. Um, but that's very really difficult to do for large organizations to sort of you know become agile, sort of move in uh, a, a more free flowing way, et cetera, just you know, uh, you know there's usually a lot of inertia there, et cetera. So how do, how, how do you advise or how do you uh, help large organizations think about the cloud, uh, the cloud adoption process and how, how, how would you suggest they break down the process to start you know, embracing the cloud over a period of time?
1: Right. Um, yeah, I mean <clears throat> we start with agile. I mean scaling agile and or large scale agile is in in my experience very, very difficult. yeah. Um, and also that normally what people say, I mean this, that that is just challenging overall. For a small organization, it's easier to implement, et cetera. but you know from an agile perspective, basically to change the whole organization to become agile, first of all, what is agile? How do we define it? What does agile mean to us, right? right. And then rolling that out, um, that is that is not easy can be done of course um, but it's, it's not easy um, I think on the cloud side um, you need to start to create some quick wins um, you need to build some credibility within the organization and saying okay we tried cloud, and we did a proof of concept as an example right and see you know it, it took us two weeks and it cost us uh, I don't know a thousand dollars compared to if you do traditional way much longer much more expensive etc then people start to become interested and ask questions like, oh, wow, how did you do that? I mean, could you even do that? And, and you know, show us in a way. Um, so many people start what's called a cloud center of excellence. Um, so instead of impacting the existing organization, you set up a, a smaller team to start with. And they are tasked with saying, okay, how can we produce some of these group of concepts and maybe some quick wins that we can show the rest of the organization to get some, some binds. That's um, a good and idea. That- yeah, sorry,
0: I said, that's a great idea.
1: Yeah, because then, then you can run in parallel, right? And you don't have to, you don't have to fight the cultural change. I mean, it, it becomes more organic in, in a way. And and we have helped customers do that as well, um, especially with proof of concepts. Um, if you look at the cloud providers and, and how we operate as well, I mean, we, we love building proof of concepts. And like I said before, um, it's not always so successful from day one, um, but in the cloud you should experiment and then you tweak and then they become successful. But the, the upfront investment to build a proof of concept is normally very low in terms of cost and, and risk and commitment, right? Um, and then you can take that value and the leadership being CIO, whoever it is, um, can use that internally and say, hey, we're building these great things. Should we have discussions to do it on a little bit larger scale and they can roll it out um, you know, across business units or across teams, and and you basically take one piece at a time.
0: I I do I definitely do agree with you there. I I've seen that uh, the cloud enables you to take quicker, faster risks, faster decisions. I, I would say you know almost fail fast, right? The cloud does enable that in a, in a much better way compared to the traditional uh, sort of ways of working. Um, but I, I do want to um, now shift a little bit to sort of, um, you know, real industry scenarios, right? I mean, um, I, I know you do a fair bit of work with uh, different retailers um, and, 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 you know, retailers have picked up uh, or jumped on the cloud bandwagon in, in a significant way. And there's, you know, you name sort of the solution that the retailers use uh, across the board. And, you know, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's some flavor of cloud to it. Um, but, but how do you sort of advise your retail clients to maximize the value from the cloud just, just beyond the, the, the hassles of, you know, maybe data storage or cost of computing, et cetera? I mean, there's, there's just so much more. There's so much out there. So how, how do you go about that journey with the retailer clients?
1: My, I, I think one topic that is hot for retailers that we have seen over and over again is if we start in data. data. Um, and again, like we said before, it's important to understand where, where clients are at and, and mapping the journey to the cloud. Um, and you know, I wouldn't call this backwards, but, you know, starting with basically data strategies, maybe a little bit more advanced. And, and you know, instead of talking about lift and shift, et cetera. Um, but data challenges are, are definitely a thing uh, within the retail industry, especially for, for traditional retailers that are competing with the Amazons of the world, right? Very true, very true. Uh, so so it's more they had these workloads and and you know, like we said, it could be Microsoft, Oracle and SaaS applications and you know, Salesforce or whatever they're using. And and, and they they of course operate individually and they're maybe somewhat integrated, and you know, some are SaaS applications, some are on-premise, and that the question is, how do you connect all these applications and how do you get more visibility and value from all of that data, not just one or two data sources, but all the data sources? Um, and we've seen that accelerate, especially during COVID as well and after COVID and people are doing more online shopping, et cetera. There's a greater need to understand your data and use your data as a tool. So, so again, the question is, how do you do that? Well, you can do it multiple ways right you can do it the tra- traditional way you can try to build your own environments build your own applications etc doable but very painful very costly so back to the toolbox if we look at the data services we have within the cloud right the ready-made services on many different levels so keep in mind that we talked about these hundreds of server types you could choose right so similar on the data side you know you have you have multiple storage options, different databases for different purposes. You have data pipelines. You have data security. You have all these services. You can build in a solution. Right. And yeah, you can. It's it's one click to enable them. Um, you know, okay, sounds too easy, in a way, but yeah, that's where you start. Mm-hmm. You don't have to buy service, etc. You can you can build solutions more on the fly. So so uh, yeah, to, to answer your question, um, basically for retail companies coming in looking looking at data, how you can put together and build a data solution, for example, built on a data lake or data fabric, um, and how you start to create value and visibility of that data. Those are, those are definitely hot topics and something that we're helping quite some retail customers with. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. So last question from my side, it's a little bit of a, um, I, I've, I've been hearing it a lot less now, but it was definitely very prominent a couple of years ago, which was that, you know, Obviously, one of the leaders in in this space is AWS, uh, which uh, whose parent company is Amazon. And for retailers, that was uh, you know, in a sense a big no-no saying, no, no, we don't want to support Amazon in any way, shape or form because they well, they, they saw them as competitors, killing their business, et cetera. But I think many retailers have shifted that mindset because it's it's, it's not about that. And there are definitely uh, you can coexist uh, with Amazon, even as a retailer. and of course, AWS, if it's a better solution, why not use it? But how do you advise your, uh, you know, your, your clients, especially in the retail space, to go one versus the other, or why not, why not, why why not pick not pick Amazon just because it's seen as a retail competitor? Because that's that shouldn't be a consideration, according to me.
1: Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question, um, and uh, well, uh, there may. Any answers and, and it's a conversation that needs to be, um, yeah, it needs to be discussed in detail uh, and, and probably on a, on a senior level, right? Because I mean, it's about defining risk. Um, <clears throat> so you can look at it in many different ways, but if you look at Amazon, they have actually unique business model that, that people don't realize. So if you look at, let's call it, yeah, Google or Microsoft Azure or the other cloud providers, right? Essentially they're IT companies and uh, they're good at what they do for sure. Um, they release products in terms of, well, let's call it data or, or servers, whatever you know you can use as part of that toolbox. Amazon and AWS, they have a slightly different mindset. Um, I wouldn't say all, but if you look at most of the products they offer, that AWS offer today, they're not coming from AWS. They're actually coming from Amazon. Mm-hmm. So there are many stories, right? And they're saying, okay, we as Amazon, we had a problem. It could be you know databases or, or again visibility of data, call center applications, whatever it is, right? They have built all, all of that internally for Amazon. And they're actually very good at building those applications. So they don't release it right away. They spend years on them and essentially try to make them perfect. When they say, okay, this is working for Amazon. And they say, we can release this to other competitors essentially, right? If it's a retail business and they do that through AWS so again it's back to the toolbox so then you get access to these tools that are also still being used by amazon internally um, so tried and tested um and then everybody else can use them and I, and i think that's a that's a really good advantage that amazon has over over microsoft and, and um, google and other providers is that it's very specific to their business and tried and tested and it just has a different Flavor; it has a business perspective to it, right? So there's a deeper understanding of the business at hand, um, which, in in my perspective, make the products better.
0: That is that is indeed a very very good way to think about it. Nicholas, I know we can go on for hours and hours, um, but we do uh, we are running out of time. So I want to thank you once again for uh, joining us, um, and thank you again for, to everybody. Uh, for those who are interested, Nicholas is going to actually be. Uh, at the reInvent uh, event in uh, Vegas at the beginning of uh, December. So, you know, feel free to look him up. Uh, He'd be happy to shoot the breeze with you. Uh, It's uh, Nicholas Palmquist at CloudX. And uh, I'm Sapan Choksi signing off. Thank you once again, everybody. Take care.
1: Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sapan.